Astronomy Cast, episode 428, Moons of Mars. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? Very well. I, I believe you're... By the time a person is listening to this, you're probably on the West Coast somewhere. Some kind of meetup happening, maybe? Um, by the time they listen to this, not quite yet. So on on uh, December 14th, which is a Wednesday, we are going to do a meetup in San Francisco at my favorite random dive food place in San Francisco. It's uh, 2832 Mission Street, and it's called... Uh, Rosamund's, it's a sausage and craft brew place because really mm. who doesn't want sausages and craft brew on a plate filled with random things like sauerkraut. Um, so right. it's a fabulous place. They have big wooden tables where we can sprawl and talk and eat and drink and enjoy life. And so, yeah, go sign up. Uh, we have it up on universe.com events. Just search for San Francisco okay. and CosmoQuest. And hey, we will see you in San Francisco. And I think we're all sold out of the eclipse trip, right? We are totally sold out okay. and there is an impressive wait list. Okay. So we kept nagging you, get on it quickly, and now we're all sold out. So uh, thanks to everyone who's joining us. And I don't know, we'll try to figure something out maybe. I don't know. There'll be uh, other events in the future. Yeah. So we begin a mini-series on Mars. How many episodes will we do? Who knows? Who cares? But today, we start with a discussion of the two Martian moons, Phobos and Deimos. Uh, okay, great, Pamela. Good choice. I, I couldn't uh, agree more with, uh, with these moons. Where should we begin? What are they? Uh, good question. We don't totally know the answer to. They are two lumpy potato-shaped, low-density, probably piles of rubble that are orbiting in suspiciously circular orbits around Mars with compositions that look a lot like a uh, chondrous chondrite, carbonaceous chondrite, to get all the syllables in the word. And for those who aren't perhaps steeped in meteorite lore, a carbonaceous chondrite is? They're rocks. They're not metal. They're rocks, not metal. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate the precise scientific terminology, <laughs> and then we can follow that up with something a little more, you know, down to earth. So <laughs> this is how, how I, I keep them straight in my head. It's is at the end of the day, your average everyday rock, were it sent through space, and, and allowed to come back down towards Earth, it would resemble a carbonaceous chondroit, but with planetary, each object at a different distance from the sun has slightly different ratios of the stuff that goes into it. So, so carbonaceous chondroits, um, they're, they're, they're things that have carbon in them. They have organic compounds, silicate, oxides, sulfurs, they're they're rocks i it it sorry it right they're rocks well the, but i mean the part that's kind of amazing is is that they are so similar to the asteroids that you find across the solar system and yet you said they have a suspiciously circular orbit yeah so i i don't know about you but when i was little 
um, what I was taught in school, which so much of what we were taught was wrong. Um, but wrong. but what I was taught was was Phobos and Deimos were most likely captured asteroids, and that made for a great story. Lumpy, potato shaped, small. These things are only a, a couple of dozen ish kilometers. Um, so so it seemed like a good story but the problem is that if they were like an everyday captured asteroid they would have been an object that was happily in orbit around the sun going along in a nice friendly orbit minding its own business and then mars gravity said hi i like you and sucked it over and didn't let go and in the process of doing this because they would have started with two different orbits, they would have started with different velocities. The the moons, what are now moons, Phobos and Deimos, would have ended up in these highly elliptical orbits. And and it's possible to imagine that over time things and stuff happened that that interacted gravitationally with the two objects and caused them to over time get more and more circularized orbits but as near as we can tell not enough time has passed for that to have happened as thoroughly as it currently appears to be circularized so this is a bit frightening not frightening it's a bit frustrating if you're trying to figure out where did these things come from and a little weird that they both have a very circular orbit. Like if one yeah. had a fairly circular orbit and the other one was highly elliptical, then you could think that one was captured and one was born in, in place. Okay, so so the source originally was thought that they were captured asteroids. Now people are leaning towards they were formed in place. Science or, is still out. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of, of different theories. The one that you run across most often, I think, is um, – that at some point in the past, Mars had a big old ring around it, uh, formed in place. Or I've also seen arguments of it once had a bigger moon. That bigger moon ended up through tidal forces crashing into the surface of Mars um, or getting broken apart or something catastrophic happened that ended up with things in orbit that ended up as Phobos and Deimos. Um, so there's a whole lot of violent ideas. One of the ones that I find particularly interesting just to think about, but that doesn't mean it's high probability. It just means I think it's cool to think about, is once upon a time Mars had a swarm of asteroidish moons and through many, many interactions over time, um, it was like, who is the weakest link? And they threw out of orbit all but these two that ended up in circularized orbits. What about like just a crazy collision, right? You know, like like because with because with the Earth, right? We had uh, you know this this Theia object that collided with the Earth way back in the in the day and created the Moon in place, and it has a roughly circular orbit. It's not so bad. And and this is where you see uh, theories that range from either there was a big Moon in the past, and by big I mean in comparison to the size of Mars. Uh, that crashed into the surface of Mars or got tidally shredded, or there was a completely external object that collided and you ended up with Phobos and Deimos getting hurled up or a cloud of stuff that formed Phobos and Deimos actually is what would have happened. Um, and this actually seems to kind of align with the idea that perhaps the lowlands on Mars are actually a giant crater. 
there's all sorts of interesting things that you can get at through mathematical models. But the truth is, at the end of the day, we need to go pick up rocks just about everywhere, compare their compositions, and sort those out compositionally. So the only way we're going to know is if we actually send a spacecraft. Send lots of spacecrafts and pick up lots of rocks. And pick up I'm lots a fan of, rocks. of picking up rocks. Yeah, and, and, and study them. That makes sense. Uh, okay, so... Can you see these moons, like, if you have a pretty good telescope? Like, what does it take to be able to actually spot them? And how were they first discovered? So so what's cool is, first of all, I love where they were found. They were actually found at Foggy Bottom, which is now a, I believe it's an FBI training facility out on the East Coast. Um, and and they, they were discovered in 1877 at the U.S. Naval Observatory um, facility, which has since moved. It's not in the same place anymore. And they were found with, I believe it was a 20-something-inch telescope. I'm flipping through my notes trying to find the exact size of this telescope. It, it was the kind of thing where when you look at what modern telescopes are capable of doing, um, you could totally do it with a modern backyard 20-inch telescope today. A modern like a, a modern backyard 20-inch telescope? Yeah, well, they're a thing. You can get them on Orion. Yeah. A plane wave? No problem. I, yeah, so go to Oceanside Photo and Telescope. Yeah. Spend Order the 20-inch uh, telescope. Spend the amount of money that you would yeah. normally spend on a car on your telescope. Um, and yeah, you can you can totally buy your own do this. monster telescope. That sounds good. Uh, okay, so so you've got this uh, you know these two moons discovered. It, it was like what a, a couple hundred years ago. When were they discovered? It, it was actually it wasn't that long ago. It was 1877. They were discovered just a couple of days apart. It was basically an August observing run. Uh, I I'm not entirely sure how to say his name because it's an older style name. Asaph Hall, I think is how you say his name, um, discovered them. He thought he saw a moon on August 10th, 1877, but the weather was kind of bad, so it wasn't a confirmed discovery. But uh, he, he was there with observing time to look for moons. This is why he was observing. And um, sure enough, he was able to confirm moons on um, the, the 18th was when... Uh, he found Phobos and um, sorry I'm going to re-say this so that it sounds better on on microphone I'm I took bad notes is what I'm currently learning this is where you get to watch the the sausage being made okay now I have my notes organized by order not Did by you get planet. that Chad there was an edit yes there. okay sorry Chad um okay <coughs> so so I'm going to, going to apologize for how I pronounce this poor astronomer's name. It's an older style name. I believe it's pronounced Asaph Hall. And he was looking in August. The first one, he thought on August 10th that he'd seen a moon, but the weather was bad. So it wasn't a confirmed discovery, but he was Foggy using bottom. the telescope. It, it's the yeah. appropriate name. Yeah. Um, so, so he kept looking. He was there to find moons. And... On the night of August 12th, he saw Deimos, and then on the night of August 18th, that was when Phobos became the the second moon that we had discovered. And, <coughs> and what's cool is 
these, these are objects that lots of people thought had to exist as a pair of objects for reasons that had nothing to do for, with science for many, many years. What reasons? <laughs> so, so. Why, why? I mean, like, because they thought there was going to be canals on the surface of, of Mars? Like, it's, it's. No, super... that came later. That was Percival Lowell. No, the, the. The I kid you not logic behind this was Mercury has has no moons, Venus has no moons, Earth has one moon, and at the time of discovery, um, Jupiter, Jupiter had four. Had four, right? So it was a mathematical sequence one one two four, and and via that logic, um, and there were things like in in. Uh, Gulliver's Travels, Swift had two moons around Mars, Voltaire in later writings that were considered to be inspired by Swift had two moons of Mars. It was just kind of a given. Mars has two moons. Um, I love how logic works sometimes. I'm, I'm not going to stop looking until I find both moons of Mars. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Uh, right. Okay. So, so now, you know, but I mean, I'm just trying to think about like, their sort of modern orbits, the what we kind of know now, they have very interesting orbits around the around the planet. Phobos especially. Yeah. So so let let's start with Deimos, which is somewhat simpler. So so Deimos is um not quite in synchronous orbit. It's close. If you want to build a space elevator, it is not totally insane to imagine if you wanted to move a potentially unstable object, uh, moving Deimos and making a space elevator, the problem is Phobos would be in the way. So actually, that's a bad idea. Well, Phobos um, is going to take care of that problem in a couple of million years. So Yeah. So 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 you have Deimos. It's, it's in an orbit that is only slightly longer than a Martian day. So it's just over 30 hours. Martian day is just over the length of our day. Um, so it, it actually seems like the, the moon is, is not all that far from staying in the exact same place overhead as the planet rotates if you're not paying a whole lot of attention. Um, so it actually goes a couple of days before it appears to set. Right. So it slowly moves across the sky bit by bit and then sets and then a while later it, it rises again relative to your place on the right. surface of the planet. So as yours are going night to day, night to day, it's, it's trying to, to basically tag along so that it takes it half, half a day to, for you, get halfway across the sky. So that rising, it, it's crazy, but it at least is doing the rise in the east, set in the west thing. Yeah. Now, Phobos... Phobos it's just is, crazy talk. Phobos is super weird. Yeah. So Phobos is is orbiting faster than than Mars is is rotating, and and the side effect of this is you can sort of imagine if you have a child on the most pathetic merry-go-round ever, that if you're running around the merry-go-round, the child will perceive you to be rising and setting in the opposite direction as someone who's just standing in place beside the merry-go-round right but i but i mean i think that the thing that's interesting right so you would see it 
it would be rising rise in, in the, the wrong place. It would go quickly across the sky and then in rise the again direction. in the wrong place because it is it is orbiting faster than the day. Yeah, which is which is mind bending. And and one of the side effects of this orbiting in the wrong direction it's orbiting in the correct direction it appears to move across the sky in the wrong direction it's it's strictly an optical illusion i swear to god it is orbiting in the correct direction right now one of the side effects of this is where like our moon is happily moving away from the earth at a few centimeters per year um it's it's not quite such a happy story for Phobos. Right. Phobos is actually getting about a meter closer to Mars every 50 years, two meters closer every 100 years. And in 30 to 50 million years, about the time Earth becomes uninhabitable, it's going to get tidally torn apart and potentially do all kinds of badness to the orbital area around Mars by forming a ring. And then smash into the planet eventually yeah that's that's so this whole backup system of putting humans on mars has a few problems but i love this i love this idea right like with our moon because the moon is takes 28 days to go around the earth it is it is you know that that orbit that takes longer than a single 24-hour period means that the moon is slowing down the Earth's rotation speed and it is slowly drifting away to compensate. And whenever, wherever we see this in the solar system, if you get that, you know, that same mechanism will play out again and again, this tidal locking that happens. But if you get a moon that is within the day period of the its planet, then it's the opposite cycle, that it is speeding up the rotation of its host planet and it is drifting closer to the planet to compensate and in the end it must crash into the into the home planet and so phobos is doomed and when you think about i mean just to go back to that idea that phobos has been around for for 4.6 billion years like the rest of Give the objects take. well our yeah, moon has 4. only 5, been around 4, for like yeah. Less than four. So, I mean, we don't know quite know when it sure, was Sure, sure. But, but in billions, billions of, of years. years, right? That we are here for the final 50, 30 to 50 million years of its life, which is just another, just an amazing coincidence that all the other moons, and, and sorry, like I know I'm, you know, I'm going on a rant. This is what I find this so interesting and fascinating that, that I, you know, I, I'll go back to some questions in a second. But that, that this probably happened across the solar system many of the times but they're all gone now because they all crashed into their planets like they like they're supposed to and and phobos is like the last one to sort of follow in with that crowd i find this concept just just mind-bending i love it well and there, there's a certain amount of fabulous poetic justice going on because well so so mars is named after uh the god Ares, just instead of using the Greek version, they used the Roman version. And in naming Phobos and Deimos, they they went for um, basically uh, the the children of Mars. So you have Phobos, which means panic and fear. So so the moon that is going to be shredded 
is the moon of panic and fear. And if I knew my destiny was to be gravitationally shredded by my father, which is mythologically what we're talking about here, panic and fear would be entirely the right things to right. tie to my creation. Perfect. Uh, now, before it gets destroyed and takes out a goodly portion of the uh, Martian, uh, the terraformed Martian future, uh, Phobos is a nice place to visit, and it and it's a place. It's been a target of space exploration, a failed space exploration, but it still has some really intriguing uh, properties, right? So, so the the Soviet Union, Russia did did try, try, try being the optimal word, um, Mars curse, uh, did try and go there failed two spacecraft died uh both really due to like mistakes so it was human intervention caused space death um but we have some pretty amazing pictures of, of phobos and deimos thanks to other orbiting spacecraft that orbited fairly close there was just no successful landing on them and and so the thing with with phobos that makes it so tantalizing is it is the larger of the two objects. It's close enough to the surface of Mars that you can do the whole fly-by-wire thing with your robots. And since it's zipping around so frequently, um, you, you can't pay direct attention to one robot continuously for an entire day. But you're going to keep coming back to that sucker. And its, it's dimensions are... 27 by 22 by 18 meters when you kind of sum up the fact that it's this kilometers. super it kilometers yes kilometers 27 by 22 by 18 kilometers pretend it's a rectangle it's a weird shaped potato um this this is big enough to be interesting uh to be able to imagine finding a fairly good landing site on now this is a highly porous object this means there's a lot of empty cavities inside as near as we can tell um the surface regolith doesn't seem to have a lot of water from spectroscopic measurements but that isn't to say that there isn't potentially frozen volatiles stuff that would melt gases water deeper down in phobos and the gravity is super low you would weigh less than 1000 times what you weigh now so let's say you weighed a thousand pounds on earth neither of us weigh that we're quite grateful. But say you did, your weight on Phobos would be about half a pound. Right. Which is awesome. Well, as we learned with the Rosetta mission, attempting to interact with that kind of microgravity is <clears throat> incredibly difficult. And the slightest movements will kick you off into space. It's a, it's a bad scene. It's it's not as bad as Rosetta. So with Rosetta, your typical human being would weigh about what a sheet of paper weighs. You and I both weigh more than 2,000 sheets of paper. And so you do have added gravity that you'd have on that particular comet. Um, so yeah, it's bad news in terms of you can easily hurl stuff off the surface. The, the escape velocity is... Uh, it's just 11 meters per second. So a good golf ball swing, you're gone. Yeah. Um, but you wouldn't be able to time, jump off, though. I don't think you can. I don't think any anyone can jump 11 meters per second. Be well, close. on Earth gravity, you can't. I don't know here, but it's it's kinetically messy, ergonomically messy. Right, right. 
and messy is good in this case. So the nice thing is you go, you land, you maybe, maybe not have water deep down if you dig through the regolith, but even if you don't, you can imagine sending, just like people talk about doing with Mars, sending your supplies ahead of time, land on Phobos, do your remote reconnaissance, you have real-time ability to explore. You don't have to worry about the germy bugs that human beings carry getting off you and killing things because Phobos is dead. We're all pretty confident in this. So the, the plague upon Mars fear that we have with putting people on Mars isn't a problem with Phobos. So we can work to maintain the not actually pristine but not terrible surface conditions for Mars life as invaded by human robots um, by putting the human beings close, but not actually there. Right. And Phobos provides this wonderful halfway point to Mars in terms of just the amount of velocity that you're going to need. You get to Phobos, go to the hollowed out space dock that Pamela has has been planning for decades now. Uh, you get more landing fuel whatever you need to do, visit with the uh, the future colonists, and then make your way down to the surface of Mars. Want to leave Mars, fly up, dock at Phobos, pick up more fuel, head for home. It's a really great... Having these, these objects are very useful for space exploration in the future. And as you said, a great place to observe the surface of Mars without actually having to go down and stand on the surface of Mars. Yeah. And and so all in all, it it seems like a kind of ideal option minus the whole we don't know how to get there without dying problem. But I think that's where we're going for the next couple of episodes. Yeah, that's exactly it. We're going to be talking about getting to and from Mars. And so this is going to play into our into our future uh, plans. Does would Phobos work? As one of, like, you know, I'm half joking about this, but, you know, as one of your, like, let's take an asteroid, hollow it out, spin it up, would Phobos do the trick? It's pretty big, right? So so the real issue is uh, it, it may be a rocky, a rocky pile of rubble that is loosely held together gravitationally, and taking something that's loosely held together and spinning it up seems like a really bad idea. So, um, no, I would not spin it up until we knew a lot more about how well it was gravitationally held together. Um, when you spin something, you add all sorts of extra forces uh, that do not help it hold together. And, of course, we've got this problem of it getting lower and lower to Mars and eventually crashing into the surface of the, of the planet, which, which would be a, a very bad day. Yeah. But what's cool is when you look at, at the pictures of, of Phobos, it's covered in these deep grooves that can, if you trace them back, they're traced back to probably four different events in time by looking at, at the directions of them. And it's thought that these grooves are created by stuff other than Phobos or Deimos hitting Mars, throwing debris up, and then poor Phobos had to plow through the debris. So... Phobos has already had its life ruined by Mars many times. So again, we're looking at poetic justice here. And one of the other ideas as well is that there might be water under the surface of Phobos. So once again, there's one of the rarest substances that, you know, in the inner solar system 
is water, it may very well be that you can find it under the surface on on Phobos, which would make getting to and from Mars again easier, like a refueling station right there. And and if you haven't ever seen a good image of of Phobos, Google uh, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter and Stickney Crater. Stickney Crater is the largest crater on Phobos, and it's it's near this crater that all of these grooves that aren't necessarily associated with the crater happen to exist, and, and these, these are some truly stunningly beautiful, wow, that object has had a bad life kind of images. I'm able to show an image here for the, for the people watching us live. Uh, but but yeah, you're gonna have to just, you're gonna have to do this for yourself. Uh, there we go. And while he's pulling that up, as we're running out of time, I do want to throw in a correction for a past episode. On the episode where we talked about uh, naming telescopes, I incorrectly said, based on an argument I heard scientists having, that Hubble wasn't named Hubble until after launch. And someone who actually works on, well, worked past tense and is now a friendly, awesome emeritus person, um, reminded me, no, no, actually it was named prior to launch which happened when I was mostly interested in marching band in high school. I'm very sorry for the mistake. I will, for now, from now on, reference check people who have interesting arguments in front of me. <laughs> right, okay. All right, well, so like I said, this is the beginning of a multi-part episode series on Mars. How many are we going to do? Who knows? We'll do that until we, until we run out of the topics that we want to talk about. We've got some interesting ones uh coming up next week we're going to be talking about getting to mars i think i think tomorrow is living on mars living on mars Mars doesn't have an answer yeah so we're going to talk about living on mars and getting back from mars because we don't know how to get there safely without death that's right and uh other topics i'd like to talk about so this sounds great all right thanks pamela bye-bye Thank you for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane, and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at infoastronomycast.com, tweet us at astronomycast, like us on Facebook, or circle us on Google. We record the show live on YouTube every Friday at 1.30 p.m. Pacific, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, or 20.30 GMT. If you missed the live event, you can always catch up over at CosmoQuest.org or our YouTube page. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Our music is provided by Travis Earle and the show was edited by Chad Weber.